I just feel like I want to take a second to tell you how grateful Karen and I are to you and for you. I don't think I say that enough. We're in a truly amazing season in our ministry right now, having been with you for 25 years and not going anywhere that I'm aware of. I've told Karen a couple times, we sat on our front porch, how grateful I am to be able to enjoy a season of ministry among you as your pastor. That might sound funny. Haven't you always been our pastor? Well, I was a church planner, and you're a pastor, but, and then I was a church grower, and you're a pastor, and I feel like the Lord's just saying, just walk among your sheep and just love them. I love you so much. You know that, I think. And uh, everywhere I go now, our church is not a mega church, but it's big enough. Wherever I go, I, I run into you. See you at Meyer, so I've got to be careful what I have in my cart, you know. And <laughs> everybody always wants to look in my cart, like, it's just food. <laughs> Yesterday, we were at the Grove City, or Central Crossing High School graduation, and uh, just walking in at the Celeste Center, because it's such a big thing, you know. And uh, I had my grandson, Jeremy, with me. And about every, about every 30 seconds, I'd run into somebody I knew, and we'd hug there and embrace and talk. And, and Jeremy said, man, you sure know a lot of people. It's just such a pleasure. I just want you to know how grateful I am to you and for you. It's a great season and I'm, I'm really looking forward to continuing in this season as God, of course, does what God wants to do. Well, this morning we're going to move through another stop on the Through the Bible. Yeah, we're back. We left it in January to do some looking into our, our nature and the Bible and our human nature and how God has done certain things in us as people. And uh, for those of you who may be new, uh, I started a Through the Bible series in February of 2016, and uh, we just kept moving through. And then as the Lord kind of moved us in different directions, we stopped and we always come back, right? Well, here we are back and Through the Bible, and we're in First and Second Thessalonians, and we only have nine more stops between, between, the, between the finish line. And so uh, you, you do the math, that's because you know that like, First and seconds, I combine, right? So whether it's Chronicles or Corinthians, I, I, I combine them. If you do the math on the rest of the books, we only have nine more stops, and we'll have made it all the way through the Bible. And uh, I'm pretty excited about that. I feel good about that. Um, but today, we're in, um, we're in uh, First and Second Thessalonians. We'll talk about vital signs. Um, as I've been doing all along in this series, it's a very straightforward format. And what is it that we always start with? Don't change the slide yet. What, what, what do you always start with? Context. Very good. Excellent. You may go. I've taught you everything you need to know about studying the Bible. Start with context. Always begin with context. First and Second Thessalonians, just to give you some highlights of the context, written by Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles, right? The guy who was uh, zealous for his Jewish traditions and Jewish uh, religion and was, was converted on the road to Damascus and became uh, an apostle. And, and with a specific mission to reach the Gentiles. How many of you are glad for that? Yeah, hello, right? Yeah. And so uh, very glad for that. 
Um, and, and with respect to First and Second Thessalonians, there is virtually no dispute that Paul was the author. As you look at some of the other books, sometimes the scholars say, maybe, maybe not. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit's the author, right? It just helps us understand the context. It was written to Gentile converts in the, in the city of Thessalonica. Um, these were Gentile converts, people powerfully converted from paganism, basically. Okay, uh, As we see in Acts chapter 17, when Paul goes to Thessalonica, he started in the synagogue, so there was a Jewish population there, but then he, he was not received by the Jewish people wherever he went, and so then he just kept preaching to the Gentiles, and that led to Karen and I getting saved. Okay, So that's good news. Uh, finally, 1 Thessalonians, the first of the two, was uh, dated between 48 and 51 A.D., which makes the book uh, the first canonized letter of all of them that Paul wrote. What does that matter? Here's what happens, I promise you. Remember when you started out in your faith and it was all so alive and powerful and uncomplicated and simple? And then you walk through and somebody told you this and somebody told you that and you had to start sorting stuff out, right? And uh, it seems like things get complicated as you move along. And I don't know about you, but I just keep running back to the beginning. I just keep running back to my first love and just start simple all over again. Well, this being Paul's first canonized letter, by canonized we mean the ones that made it into the Bible, um, uh, uh, then Paul is in a very lovely, white-hot, disorganized, oh, unorganized state, I should say, right? And I just, I just love that about it. In terms of the highlights, which is what we like to do next and to uh, look at the pe- uh, particular book, the highlights of First and Second Thessalonians was to encourage new believers in their trials. They were under persecution in Thessalonica, as they were in many places throughout Asia Minor. And the kind of persecution was both political and cultural. So there was political persecution because, uh, as you see, if you look at what happened in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, that the Jews uh, uh, rose up against him saying that he's saying we have, no, we have a king other than Caesar, this Jesus fellow. And so then that made the Romans, who were pretty threatened by any other king other than Caesar, of course, come down on him. But there was also cultural cultural persecution in that Christians were, they were just odd. They were like us, you know, they were just odd. They didn't fit in. And many of them had to part from the the pagan ways of their families to follow Jesus. Some of you know that. Some of you know, are there any oddballs in your great larger family, right? And, And it's not a bad thing, but it's a thing, isn't it? You just sort of stand out. Yeah. And, uh, Karen and I could relate to that very well, as well on my side of the family, until one by one by one they came to Christ too, which is pretty exciting, right? Um, Paul was also wanting to give clear instruction for authentic Christian living. He talks about about the way of love, that love needs to be at the core, the heart of how we live our lives as believers. Um, He also talks about the other side of the coin, like sexual immorality and such, and he calls us to, to not be idle with our hands, and call, call, but, but he paints a picture of authentic Christian living. The third highlight 
of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians is that Paul was used to bring revelation and assurance concerning the return of Christ. How many of you know that Jesus is coming back? How many of you know when? I know, right? <laughs> He's coming back. We don't know when. And, uh, you know, when Jesus was asked, he says, hey, I don't know. And there's this odd sort of thing in the Trinity. He said, these, uh, these, these times and, and dates are set by you know, the Father's authority. So while that remains pretty much a mystery to me, um, it's a reality. But Jesus is coming back. This is a field of study called, anybody know? Eschatology. You may go, Kathy. You're good. Okay. Eschatology, which is a big church word, which means essentially the study of the last things. We are blessed here in our fellowship to have a man here among us who's, who's been with, been at my side since the day one. He was in the first class of VLI way back in Vineyard Columbus so many, many years ago, and he needed to get a, an internship. He's a West Sider himself. I'm sorry, I can't help that. You can't help where you're from. He was the valedictorian of his high school class on the West Side, but what's that, right? Uh, Listen, we have a man in our fellowship. He leads a small group that studies eschatology. He has devoted himself, traveled to study eschatology. He has such a heart for the Lord. And I'm going to give him a, a few minutes of this morning's message to come and share. Please welcome Pat Holweiler. Thank you, brother. I told my home group once I was valedictorian, and one of them said, were you homeschooled? <laughs> That's the best. I enjoyed that tremendously, even though I was the butt of it. I'm really excited today that we're having communion, that we're talking about Paul's shepherd heart, that we're talking about the study of the last things. You know, we don't often think of Paul as somebody that dealt with the prophetic. Uh, you know, we think of John, he wrote Revelation. We think of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Daniel, Ezekiel. But we don't think a lot about Paul and end times and prophetic, but he actually wrote several key passages about the end times. Uh, Romans 1, the second half of that, deals with what happens when we forget that God is our creator. God is our creator, Amen and the spiral that can happen when that is ignored. He talks about um, our being changed in the twinkling of the eye. We'll come back to that in, in 1 Corinthians. And these books, these three that we're about to do, the three T's, the Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus, he makes many references to the return of the Lord. So I think that's interesting. And as he just shared, as Tom just shared, Paul was dealing with new believers, and yet he talked about the end times. We tend to think that, well, that's the complicated stuff. You should save that for when you've been walking with the Lord a while. Not, not, not necessarily. Not, I, I, I don't, I'd, ca I'd counter no, because knowing Jesus is our desire. That's why we take communion, to draw closer to him. Well, in Revelation, we're told that... The, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So if you want to draw closer to Jesus, studying the prophetic scripture is a really good way to go about it. 
And Tom mentioned our, our Bible study group. It's called the Issachar Berean Connection. It sounds like a really bad working title that they changed to the French Connection. But that's not, that's a really old reference, sorry. Um, but the Issachar Berean Connection is about two things. It was about the sons of Issachar. Issachar was one of Jacob's 12 sons, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was said of them in 1 Chronicles 12 that the sons of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The other reference, the Bereans, oddly enough, uh, Tom just mentioned what Paul was uh, and Silas were preaching with to the Bereans in, Thess um, in the context of the Thessalonians. They, they taught these Bereans about the, the scriptures, and, you know, we, well, it's Apostle Paul. That's good enough for us. No, not these guys. The Bereans were considered more noble even than our brothers and sisters of Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying is true. And, and that is a commendation I would give to all of you. And I think Tom would agree. Whatever Tom says, whatever you hear today, whatever you hear from your favorite teacher, whatever you hear from anybody, you know, by the Lord's grace, it's correct, but you should look at yourself. You, you research the word. You'll draw closer to the Lord, and you'll know the truth. You know, nobody that deals with counterfeit currency as an expert ever studies counterfeit currency. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the FBI, the divisions that deal with this stuff, you don't learn you don't bother yourself with learning all the methods of counterfeit. You study the real thing till you know it's so good that you cannot possibly mistake it. That's our charge with the Word of God, to know that truth so extensively that we don't have to be that we won't be deceived. And these young Christians, they did have a few struggles in their learning about the time the times of the end. Um, Paul uh, is given a report by Timothy that some of them were worried that, oh my gosh, some of us have died. They've missed out on the second coming of Christ. And Paul dispels that, reminding them that, hey, I taught you about this, but here, let me set it for you again. Do not be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep, lest your sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we are who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, who've passed on. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Look at the second coming of Christ. Think about it. Anticipate it. Look up. Be watchful. Our redemption's drawing nigh. It's not, be like Eeyore, nobody know Jesus is coming someday. It's encourage each other. Hey, the Lord's coming back. That doesn't mean our struggles aren't real. That doesn't mean he doesn't care. That doesn't mean we shouldn't care for each other. But, but we should be encouraging each other with these words. Because in the end, in the twinkling of an eye, that word in 1 Corinthians is atomos. 
It's an atom. It's the most minute measurement possible. When we are changed from, from these cartons into our glorious bodies, it'll be instantaneously faster than any shutter of any camera, faster than the flapping of any hummingbird's wings that you could watch on Nat Geo. We're going to be changed, and, it's, and we get to say, oh, death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? All right? The second point I'll make out of this, these passages is in 2 Thessalonians. And again, newer believers, they sometimes struggle. They don't remember things. They were actually convinced that they were somehow in the time of the day of the Lord. In other words, the tribulation. They were concerned about it because of what, what Paul termed in his comment about it, a letter or a word or a spirit, a forgery, may I dare say it, fake news, that we were already in the day of the Lord. And Paul, again, gently corrects them that, you know, we are not in that day because the time hasn't come. There is somebody restraining the lawless one the Antichrist, who is coming. But the, the mystery of the Antichrist has been at work all along. But we're, as we see the day approaching, we're going to see that we, we have lying signs and wonders happening. Deception will run rampant. We're even told that the love of many will wax cold. That's, that's even within the church, sad to say. And this is why we need to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and be in the Word because, you know, deception lurks all around. And I, and I just want to encourage you to, 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 again, be in the Word, to research the Word so that you won't be deceived. And knowing that we are not appointed to wrath, that's good news. That's really good news. We're not appointed to wrath. We're appointed to salvation and being with the Lord forever. So I just want to encourage you in that and, and just, just know how important it is to Jesus that your salvation is in his hands, and he will, not, he will not let go. You hold on to him and hold on to that hope of his coming, and, and you, will see, you will see this day. The day is coming. It's coming soon. Lord just reminded me last night, we're in the last of the last days. No date setting. That's not appropriate. But the time is coming. So look up, be watchful, because our redemption is drawing nigh. Amen. Pat's such a special guy in our fellowship. Like I said, has been with us for 25 years. and uh, He made a big sacrifice to do this. He's missing teaching his fifth grade class in the back, and that's very important to him too. So thanks so much, Pat. And you have a card on our board out there, right, for your group. So if you suddenly became interested in Pat's group, pick up one of the cards on the, on the small group board out there and, and see what you can... See what you can do. What time is it? Oh, plenty of time. We're good. Well, as I like to do, uh, as, we, as we look through First and Second Thessalonians, you know, I like to give context, highlights, and then what? 
Hot spot, right. What's what, what maybe does the Lord, maybe I feel like the Lord wants to say to us, and uh, I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. And I'll just take a few minutes on this. 1 Thessalonians 5, the hot spot is verses 16 through 24, where Paul says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to what is good and avoid every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he'll do it. What I see here is I see five vital signs of an authentic believer, an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And the first vital sign is joy. Verse 60, if you want to know if you're alive in Christ, this is not an exhaustive list, but he gives us five vital signs of an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. The first is, is joy. And he says, be joyful always. What does that even mean? How can I be joyful always? I mean, stuff happens, right? Well, I think the important thing is a subject that we have visited before is that we often confuse joy with happiness, right? They are not the same thing. I don't even think they're close cousins. Joy is, joy is that profound sense of assurance that in any and every circumstance, God has it in control, right? And so you can be in circumstances that cause you by nature to feel sad, and it's okay, you can still have joy in the midst of it, yes? And I've seen that in so many of you as you have gone through trials in your life, and it was impossible for you to feel happy, and yet I've seen you with, with joy. I'm thinking of one guy in our fellowship, I won't say his name of course, but but has struggled with severe depression. We have prayed for him. He has received treatment. We have done everything that we know how to do to help him out of his depression. And yet he remains in a clinical state of depression. But when we talk with him, when I talk with him, and I just talked to him last week, there's something that comes over him in the midst of him that's joy. He's not happy. But he has profound joy, and it's, it almost comes across like this. I know I can't seem to get out of this, but at the end of the day, we're going to kick the devil's butt. I'm going to win. I'm going to heaven after this, right? And that's, that's joy, right? I mean, it's wonderful when joy and gladness come at the same time. That's fantastic. But just because you're in a season that doesn't promote gladness doesn't mean you can't excel in joy. And uh, I think that's a really important distinction. You know, so many, uh, we've read through church history, and even, in, even in, in, the, in the New Testament itself, as the believers were persecuted. Remember, he was, he was speaking directly to persecuted Christians, some who perhaps were losing their lives for the sake of the gospel. And he says, always be joyful, always. 
And, and we see them. We see accounts of believers who are persecuted, sometimes even martyred, who go and they, they meet their fate in joy. Are they happy about it? Of course not. But they have joy. Sometimes I think we think that the opposite of joy is happiness. I have a new one for you. The, I believe the opposite of joy is not happiness. The opposite of joy is anxiety. Because joy is the profound sense of assurance that God has this in control. When you lose that, we, by nature, become anxious, don't we? And so, thank you, Colin. And so, I got one. That's good. I'm preaching a little better than your amen. And this may not be my best, but come on. People, are you here? The opposite, let's, let, let's think about the opposite of joy, not being sadness, but being anxiety. And so when we're anxious is when we should say, Lord, restore my joy, right? David prayed, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore my joy. You know, experts tell us that nearly 20%, 18.1% of the American population struggles with clinical anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, PTSD, social phobias, panic attacks, these kind of things. It's a big business. I think the reason for that, in part, or maybe in a large part, is that our whole culture is set up to provide a construct of happiness. And it's not really what we're craving. I like to be happy, don't you? But have you ever been in a situation in which you were happy and you weren't? Of course. You were supposed to be happy? I mean, you just weren't feeling it? See, see, what our hearts crave is not happiness. Our hearts crave the assurance that God has this. God has this. That's, that's joy. How do you get joy if you've lost it? Well, the fruit of the Spirit. Which Spirit is that? Tell me. Which Spirit is that? Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love. That's good. Joy. You abide in the Spirit. Okay. Got to move. The second one is, is prayer. Verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. How do you do that? You cultivate a lifestyle of prayer. You cultivate the disciplines of prayer. We've talked about so many times, so many ways we can pray. Pray according to your own temperament. You're a person. You're a unique, unique creation of God. You've got a way of praying. Establish times for prayer. And then live in the season of prayer, right? Listen, we can be successful without being effective. Did you know that? We can be successful. We can go about our lives and we can build it up with something that looks like success, but we have no eternal impact. Everything we do, listen, are you listening, yes or no? Everything we do effectively as Christians comes from prayer. With staff and leaders here, pray first. Pray first. If you haven't prayed, you're not ready to do anything. Prayer. The third uh, vital sign of an authentic believer is gratitude. He says, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. In everything, not for everything necessarily. Hello, right? In, uh, in everything. You can give thanks in everything. You know, as I was saying at the beginning, Karen and I, we're just in this season of profound gratitude. We just can't believe the life that we get to live with you all. 
Now, some of you are a pain in the butt, but you know, we, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but we are in a profound season of gratitude for you. We have one, one woman in our fellowship, I won't say her name, Dora Gilmore, and she is so, she is just a person of profound gratitude, isn't she? Her husband Dick just went through heart surgery or sudden almost we could have lost Dick. And she's just so grateful. I was with them yesterday morning. And uh, she's just so grateful. She's just an inspiration to be around because she's just grateful in all things. Gratitude. Okay. Um, kingdom living is the fourth vital sign of a healthy believer. When he says, uh, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't resist Holy Spirit. You know, I know sometimes when Holy Spirit comes and does things, uh, some, there are some manifestations that are uh, sort of outside of the, our normal box and stuff, and it's a little bit strange. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. My job as the sheepdog here is to just make sure that as things happen, that nothing gets artificial. Not that things don't get weird, because they do, right? That's okay. That's okay as long as it's real, authentic move of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just saying, um, you know, the, he, he's saying don't treat prophecies with contempt. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. He says just test everything and hold on to what's good. I mean, Vineyard, we are about the rule and reign of God, right? We are about the present rule and reign of God, and our gatherings are held with a loose hand. It's like I didn't plan any of that healing stuff this morning. It's just Holy Spirit coming saying, and, and I'm just saying, we, we, we are people of the kingdom. We are people of the kingdom. Well, are we evangelicals or are we charismatics? Of course, right? Exactly. We are people of the kingdom of God. So just seeing the move of the kingdom, cooperating with that. And then one more is he says an authentic believer separates himself, herself from evil. He says in verse 22, avoid every kind of evil. This is perhaps the most challenging and in some ways the most relevant aspect of this passage for us. The others seem pretty, pretty, pretty natural, naturally supernatural, as Wimber used to say, but it's, it, it, just seems, um, it just seems like the separation from evil. As a culture, we, I think we, we've, we've turned a corner and we call evil good and we call good evil. Am I right? I'm not trying to single any particular brand of evil out, whether it's a personal issue or a social implication or whatever. I'm just saying we're calling the wrong things the right things and the right things the wrong things, right? Our sexual mores have spun entirely out of control, and we're setting up constructs to say, oh, no, it's cool. It's good. It's cool. It's cool. It's not cool. The Bible's clear about certain things, right? And that's just one of Dozens of examples that we could talk about. But he says, separate yourself from evil. Why don't you just give some thought to that for a second? Just think about, if you, were, if you were to separate yourself from evil, what would be some of the things that you would distance yourself from that are, you're presently too close to? Right? This is a vital sign of an authentic, uh, authentic believer. Okay. So how are your vitals? Go ahead, take your pulse. Joy? Prayer? Gratitude? Kingdom? Separation from evil? 
You're alive. <laughs> You're alive. There may have been part of that that's convicting for you, going, ah, oh, that's, that's, that's cutting me. Listen, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to, um, to deal with that, and maybe in a way that's different than you're expecting. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul went to Thessalonica, he was persecuted, as I mentioned, by the Jews for saying that, that Jesus is king. That Jesus is king. Do you want to see the outbreak of prayer and gratitude and joy in your life, yes or no? Then worship Jesus as king. That's where it all begins. Just the release of your worship of Jesus as king. Do you want to see the kingdom of God break out in your world, in your life, in this church, yes or no? Then worship Jesus as king. Worship him without inhibition. You want to separate yourself from evil? Yes or no? Do you need help with that? I do. Do you need help with that? Yes or no? Then worship Jesus as king. Worship Jesus as king. Bow before him as king. Invite Holy Spirit to come and engage you in worship. Do you want to be alive in Christ? Yes or no? Then worship Jesus as king. Worship. Gone is the day of making all these promises of this perfect person you're going to be. Yes or no? It's got to be gone. How well has that worked so far? Worship Jesus as king. Do you want to have God rewrite your operating system? Yes or no? Then worship Jesus as king. Do you want to become a person of love? Yes or no? Then worship Jesus as king. Worship the greatness of God on your feet, church. Let's go.